0: It's a great day. It's a a day that much of the world even recognizes as a special day. And so we're going to jump right in. Uh, We're going to look at uh, Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Mark 6, verse 1 says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed where did this man get these things they asked what's this wisdom that has been given him what are these remarkable miracles he is performing isn't this the carpenter isn't this mary's son and the brother of james joseph judas and simon aren't his sisters here with us and they took offense at him and jesus said to them a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. It may not be of the traditional Easter passage that we uh, might be familiar with. But I do want to again welcome us to our Resurrection Sunday, and if you are just joining us, All year long, we've been uh, focused on one singular theme, and that's Jesus in action. We are staring at him. We are looking so closely at him because we want to see how Jesus handled everything so that we can imitate it. That is our earnest goal. In the month of April, we are looking at Jesus facing challenges, and the passage that came up i'm pulling a maurice right now right this this is the passage that i was given right and the passage that came up was mark chapter 6 and so believe you me we are going to tie this into the resurrection of jesus christ it's going to be masterful the key thing and if you know me one of the things that i always talk about is context right Context is super important, no less important for this passage. It's important to keep the context, the scene of this context, uh, in its larger you know, environment. You know, just expanding this scene, uh, just briefly, you know, going back one chapter, it's amazing, right? You see what Jesus was doing is nothing short of legendary. Because in Mark chapter 5, you have Jesus and Legion. You know, it's amazing, right? And again, pick, put yourself in this scene. Right? Put yourself here if you are one of the folks who are watching these miracles happen. Because in Mark chapter 5, Jesus casts out the demon-possessed man. We know that's Legion. And again, it's no one could restrain Legion. They're binding him with iron. And he's breaking those chains. Legion is running around the countryside. He's living in the tombs. And he's crying out day and night. And Jesus just, Cast out the demon. And if you know the story, the demons are asking them, they say, can we go into the pigs that are nearby? Jesus allows that, and 2,000 pigs rush down this steep embankment, and they all drown. And then what happens is the people, there are people watching those pigs, and they're seeing all this happen, and they are freaked out. And so they run from that spot back into the town and they're telling everybody what happened and so the people in the town they come out and again imagine the, you know because everybody knows legion they come back and they see legion sitting next to Jesus closed and in his right mind and you know what they do they ask Jesus to leave yeah. <laughs> they start pleading with Jesus to leave their region they're like if this guy he is out of pocket right? he is out of control and if, 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 if you have power that is so great that you let this man, that he's sitting here in his right mind saying hello to us, could you please leave? Could you go? And so Jesus leaves, and then right after that he gets into the boat and he goes across the river. Right? He goes across that, uh, that body of water. And as soon as he gets there, someone says, hey, you know what? Can you, can you heal my daughter? Right? She's about to die. She's literally dying. Can you come? And so Jesus starts walking. If you notice, Jesus is never hurried. Can't find a, a moment where he's hurried. And so while Jesus is walking, this woman sneaks up behind him, and she is bleeding. She has been bleeding for over a decade. She has spent everything that she has, and no doctor can help her. And her thought, her, her main thought is, if I can just touch him, I know he's got this power. If I can just touch him, I know I'll be healed. That's amazing. And, and that's what happens. In the middle of walking to help this woman, this uh, daughter who's dying... Jesus stops everybody and says, hey, wait, 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 somebody touched me. The disciples did what I would have done. They said, all these people are around you? (laughs) And you're asking, who touched you? Look, I'm touching you, right? We're all touching you. But Jesus stops and points out this woman. And this was, again, this is a legendary miracle. Because this woman believes Think about this for a moment. She believes that Jesus has so much power in himself that if her biggest obstacle is if I can get through the crowd. I don't have to interrupt him. I don't have to ask him. All I have to do is touch him. It's amazing. And that's just all while Jesus is on his way to heal the synagogue ruler's daughter. And while he's doing that, he's on the way, someone comes and says, don't bother Jesus anymore, she's dead. Jesus keeps walking. And when he gets there into that space, there are people who are mourning, they're weeping, they're wailing, and Jesus says to them, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And they go from weeping and wailing to laughing at Jesus. Just like that. They're like, what you're saying is ridiculous. We have seen her. She is dead. It's ridiculous. And and they're laughing until Jesus puts them all out. And then if you could imagine that moment where Jesus walks up to that girl. The only people that are left are Jesus' disciples and the parents. And he, he literally takes that little girl by the hand and he commands her to come back to her body as she does. She is raised from the dead. Legendary. And so you can imagine seeing any of these miracles, right? And any one of these miracles falls into the category of of no one but God can do this. If someone in our midst was doing this, it would have to point to God. The point I have here is that all of these miracles demanded an emotional response. Right? You'll see some of them on the on the screen here. All these miracles demanded this emotional response. The people in the area where the pigs died, they're so filled with fear, they beg Jesus to leave. Legion so grateful that he, he pleased with Jesus to take him with him. The woman who touches Jesus, she's healed, but, but Jesus stops everything, points her out, she's trembling with fear. The people weeping over the synagogue ruler's daughter, they go from weeping to laughing. And then when Jesus heals that little girl, when he brings her back to her body, the parents are completely astonished. You know, the question I have for us, next slide, after the emotion, what's next? What's next? This is what I want us to consider as we go through and we take a deeper look at Mark chapter six, and I then tie these thoughts into the resurrection. Because Jesus leaves that area, then he goes straight to his hometown where people know him, right? Where he grew up, where people know his family. And these are the folks that that he spent the time with as he matured into an adult. And so he heads to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he starts teaching them. He starts teaching his community from the word of God. And just like the people who witnessed every other miracle, They have a strong emotional response. The Bible says that when they heard Jesus, they were literally amazed. That they're sitting there and they're thinking, whoa, what what in the world is happening? they're, they're, They're so moved by what he says that what he's saying causes them to have this strong emotional response. But what came after the emotion? What was next? Where does their reaction lead them? Well, when you look at the next slide, it says, they immediately started asking questions, right? They react to their amazement by asking questions to try to figure out, what is it that we're seeing here? What is going on? Because the picture that they're seeing is hard to reconcile with their experience of what Jesus did when he was in their hometown. As a carpenter. Yeah. And you see these questions. It says, well, wait a second. Where did this, this, this man get these things? With what wisdom has been given him? And what are these remarkable miracles he is performing? The problem isn't the questions. The problem is where the questions are coming from. And the difficulty is because they're too familiar with Jesus. And because they think they already know him, right, they feel like we already know everything that we need to know about you. That's the way they form these questions. Because when you look at their, the next response, next slide, they say, wait, wait a second, isn't this the carpenter? What's Jesus doing up here teaching? He's the carpenter. It's like if your plumber got up and did a sermon one day, you'd like... Joe, is that you? <laughs> What's going on here? Right? is Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They're not asking those questions to learn and grow. They're asking those questions because they see Jesus as going beyond the picture that they have of him. And they don't like that. They don't like that. So that's the trap. Next slide. That's the trap that they fell into. And this is the trap that we've got to be careful not to fall into. The trap of defining Jesus by our experience and our expectations. You know, once they process, once Jesus' hometown, that hometown crowd, once they process their amazement through their experience and their expectations, they take offense at him they're offended because their experience was incomplete and their expectations were too limited about jesus they saw jesus as one of them this is jesus come on we know his family he's the carpenter guy right they don't see jesus as god in the flesh now it's not that their experience was a bad one but it was absolutely incomplete and that's the problem with experiences You know, next slide. One of the themes that runs through the gospel of of John is that you see often this idea that where Jesus was from was just not a great place, right? Not a place of note. It's not like it had a terrible reputation, but it didn't have this reputation for anybody of note coming from there. And so that that hurt them as well, right? If you look at John 1, uh, verse 46... If you remember, and uh, we, we looked at this earlier in the year, how Nathaniel, his response when when he's told we found the Messiah, he's from Nazareth. His his gut response, his knee-jerk response is Nazareth. <laughs> can, can anything good come from Nazareth? We also talked about John seven, you know, and, and how Nicodemus he he goes back to his uh, the Jewish ruling council, and and he he kind of. Puts his toe in the water, you know, because he's trying to say, hey, I don't think we're treating Jesus well. But he gets, he gets shot down because in John 7, when he says, hey, do we, is it, is it, is it, are we doing what we should be doing according to our own law? Their response was, Nicodemus, you look into it. You'll find that a prophet does not come from Galilee. We can do whatever we want because there's no way a prophet comes from this backwater town. What's the point? Well, whether they realize it or not, the people of Jesus' hometown seem to agree with the popular opinion. They cannot see Jesus as anything more than the people around them see their town. They couldn't see Jesus beyond their own view. And when Jesus cracks open just a glimpse of who he really is, they would rather keep their opinion and be offended then change their opinion and their relationship with him. And so what can we take away? What can we take away as we celebrate the resurrection? Well, I think as we consider the resurrection, we've got to be careful that our relationship with Jesus is not primarily based on our personal view of him, but it's based on the scriptures that it's based on the scriptures. Because relying on a personal view of Jesus can put us in the same space as the people of Jesus's hometown. Because they had a personal view of Jesus that was was right, but it was incomplete. And so many of our views, right? Where do our views come from? Well, a lot of times our views come from our own experiences. But, you know, I've, I've learned the hard way that even our experiences with Jesus can give us an incomplete picture of who he is. And that's true if our experience is positive or negative, because in the same week, Jesus can be, won't he do it? And also, why have you forsaken me? Same week. Sometimes in the same day. But neither of those tells the whole story. And so think for a moment, right? Think for a moment. What passages in the Bible do you use? To inform your understanding of what Jesus loves and what he hates, what his relationship with God is like, how Jesus prioritized his time, how he thinks, why he felt some ways about some things and other ways about other things, how he handles being hurt in so many other ways. If we're following him and we don't have a whole lot of scriptures that create our picture of Jesus, where are we getting our view from? Where are we getting that view from? So let's do our best to make sure our relationship with Jesus is based on how the Bible describes him, not the reputation that he has from popular opinion or our own personal experience. Now, here's how what we've been talking about ties into the cross and the resurrection. See, for many of us, if we are believers, there are no stories About Jesus, that are more familiar than the cross and the resurrection. Those are our most familiar stories, and they produce a lot of emotion. The cross is jarring, it's visceral, it's uncomfortable to read about. And we read about it, and maybe every time we read about it, we get angry. We get angry at Judas' betrayal. We're ashamed at Peter's denial. We're furious at Pilate for not taking responsibility. We're humbled by Jesus' love for his mother and for his forgiveness of those who are killing him while they're killing him. The story of the resurrection is awe-inspiring. It's triumphant. It's astounding. Right, We marvel at God's power and his planning over thousands of years to redeem mankind. We rejoice in Jesus' absolute victory over death. We're amazed that there are people who literally watched it and still didn't believe. And the point is that everywhere we look... What Jesus does inspires a strong emotional response. And the cross and resurrection inspire some of the most strong emotional responses. But is the resurrection story for us like Jesus visiting his hometown? Where we are amazed, but that's as far as it goes. And again, the emotions are not bad, right? But they always lead us somewhere. And so after the emotion, what's next? What's next? After the emotion fades away, how do we live? You know, the amazement of those who heard Jesus in his hometown turned into offense that led to what I call a cordial lack of faith. And what do I mean by this? Well, again, they don't ask Jesus to leave like the people in Mark 5 did, right? The folks where the pigs get into the, uh, the demons go into the pigs. They don't ask Jesus to leave them. And they don't laugh at Jesus like the mourners in Jairus' household. They just put their faith in their experience instead of who Jesus truly is. And so as a result, Jesus stays with them. He walks among them, but he just can't do very much with them. Because in their minds, he's just a carpenter that speaks well in the synagogue. And so as we consider the resurrection, does our view of Jesus need expanding or adjusting, right? Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, this isn't in our slides, but Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I just want you to think about this, where, where Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That's the power available to us. The power that allows us to have citizenship in heaven, that allows us to be a dwelling place where God has his spirit, that allows us to live a life worthy of the gospel we've received, the power that allows us to be completely humble, completely gentle, completely patient and to bear with one another in love. The power to stand strong and not be blown back and forth by every teaching that's out there and on and on. know, the resurrection may move us to feel deep emotion about Christ, and it should, but what happens next, right, to access the power that I just read about in Ephesians chapter one, that means living a life devoted to Christ every day, I can't maintain feelings that long, Stop and think for a moment. Did an emotion bring you to service today? Maybe the feelings of joy as you thought about the resurrection. Maybe a twinge of guilt if you haven't been to a service in a while. And maybe you're feeling sadness because of something painful that you're having to endure, that you're going through right now. But after the emotion, then what? You know, next slide. You know, the big thing that, that's so humbling to me as I read Mark chapter, chapter uh, 6 is that the people who heard Jesus, they were amazed, but they were unchanged. Yeah. And what's so sobering to me is that the people who were closest to Jesus did not have an advantage in understanding who he is because they allowed their closeness to blind them. And I would say, if we are followers of Christ, let's make sure we turn our amazement into something good, right? That we turn that into faith that allows Jesus to do whatever he wants to with our lives. And if we're visiting, if we're seeking, man, you know what's, what's, what's interesting? Out of all the questions that, that Jesus' hometown asked him, the one they didn't ask was, well, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for our lives? I am pleading with you, ask that question. Sit down with someone, study the Bible, and figure out what Jesus' resurrection means for your life. Here's what I want to say to wrap it up. And it might not be today, but there will be a point in time in which our thoughts about Jesus will produce a strong emotion. That is going to happen. It might be joy. It might be that, that we hear a lesson. And, or we might be listening to a song that moves us to tears because of how grateful it makes us feel. It might be fear. We might read a passage about judgment. Or we might fall into a sin that we desperately want Jesus to rescue us from. It might be sorrow. It might be anger. Right? You might suffer a loss and wonder where Jesus is and wonder why he doesn't answer a prayer that you desperately want him to. But after the emotion, what's next? What's next?